0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jay's Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morant, Joe Johnson's, Jaw John Raps, of course. We've got Jays we've gotten for days. Josh, how are you doing?
1: There's so much to get to. I think we should just jump right in.
0: Wow. I'm I'm Guy. ready to
1: go, I guess, to answer your question.
0: Guy means business, I suppose. Okay. Winners and losers of Feast Week. No no more time for explanation. <laughs> winners and losers of Feast Week its pretty self-explanatory. If you've been around, you've heard this podcast before. Um, if you haven't been around longer than seven days, you've heard a condensed version of this that we do every week. So there you go. Winners and losers. Who's your first winner? Give it to me. Wait, I suppose we should one housekeeping thing. Uh-huh. Are we going all winners and then all losers or are we bouncing back and forth? I think we need to go back and forth. Okay. So give me a winner, I'll give you a winner, and then you'll give me a loser, and I'll give you a loser, and we'll go from there. Who's your first winner?
1: All right, I'm going to go first, Arizona.
0: Okay, tell me why. Of
1: course, right, so there are some obvious ones we're going to get to here. You know, teams that win high-profile MTEs, typically winners. Arizona falls into that category, beating Cincinnati, San Diego State, and Creighton, and Maui. The thing I want to, because to a certain extent this speaks for itself, I mean, they were really good. <laughs> the thing I wanted to highlight here, though, is if you look at how they won these games, I mean, Zeus Tabelas had 30 and 11 against Cincinnati. Courtney Raymond and Kirk Carissa had 42 combined against San Diego State. And Umar Ballo obliterated Creighton, even with Ryan Kolfbrenner in there. They're only getting production from, in terms of scoring, at least from about six guys. You know, you have, you have a player off the bench that can give you about 10 a game. But the five starters, and this was kind of where I was really curious about Arizona. I still have my concerns about how sustainable this is when you're relying that heavily on six guys. But I do, and to a certain extent, I've been proven wrong because I was a little hesitant about the depth part of this. And I'm becoming convinced it just doesn't matter that much. But the part that I... Feel strongly about that. I feel like got highlighted that I want to talk about again here quickly. Is I just don't think these guys got enough credit last year because of the other players that stole the spotlight that are now in the NBA. I really believe this was eight guys. They were playing a team with eight starters last season, and now three of them are gone. So these are your five starters that are left, and they're as good as any starting lineup in the country. And they showed it by getting through. I mean, and we'll probably get to more of this later, but you had four, you got to a point where the four really good teams in this tournament were all playing each other in the semifinals. So you were going to get, you know, somebody was going to win two, somebody was going to lose two. And for Arizona who, you know, fair to have some questions. We knew they were going to be good. Not sure exactly how good in a world where, you know, the rest of the PAC 12 hasn't looked great to come in and do what they did and to get production across the board from those starters, where it's not one guy, every single game, but it's always somebody was awfully impressive and, again, a testament to just how good of a coach Tommy Lloyd is.
0: I think I've decided I am not all that interested in teams' depth this year. I think that's kind of just how it's going to have to be. Give me a (laughs) – which good team has depth? Right. Yeah. None of them have depth, right? I mean, Gonzaga doesn't have any depth. Nope. UNC has negative depth. It's impressive. Like, Melo Trimble's brother, like, made a defensive play, and that was the most impactful thing that a bench player has done for UNC this season.
1: Puff Johnson I mean, K- was pretty good for a while there. I was impressed by
0: Puff. Okay, but the, I mean, like, two guys in the starting lineup took 60 shots combined, two right. of them. Right, No, so, I'm, like, not,
1: I'm not disagreeing with your point. Yeah, yeah.
0: Clearly, yeah. there's there's not a ton of depth there. Hou- and, Houston, like, has depth. Houston has some depth. Tennessee has some depth. And, and maybe that's what we look up at the end of the season, is that those teams that, Maybe that's just we look up and the teams in the Final Four have depth, even if they aren't the most talented. I mean, Houston might be the most talented, too, but like yeah. ten, but Tennessee, and that might be why they end up winning the national championship. Um, but Tennessee might find their way there, not because they're more talented, but because they have eight guys they can count on instead of six. But I kind of, I have looked up over and over. First of all, I agree with you. Arizona, impressive, 6-0. And they're kind of under an umbrella of one of my winners. Um, But like, if you just get one guy to do like, if you just get one guy to do like kind of something, like they like against Creighton, they got eleven points from their bench. Fine, I'll take it. To be honest, if you get if, if you told me that every other night I get twenty from my every three games I get twenty from my bench or every single night I get eleven, I'll take every single oh, night absolutely. I get eleven because you 100%. know
1: somebody from that somebody from that starting lineup is going to go for at least twenty and have at least three or four guys in double figures.
0: Yeah, yeah um but they they were spectacular um and they kind of fall under this branch of of one of my winners which is just the teams that people kind of decided weren't going to be as good as they were last year mm. headlined by Arizona and Purdue
1: mm-hmm.
0: right i mean there was no conversation despite how talented both of those teams were last year right neither of us picked Arizona to win the big 10 I never even considered Purdue to, I mean, sorry, to win the Pac-12. I never Mm -hmm. even considered Purdue to win the Big Ten, right? And I mean, I haven't seen a better team than, at least a more accomplished and better combination in the Big Ten than Purdue. Right? I mean, Indiana's looked impressive against a bunch of mid-majors, right? I mean, they're doing what they're supposed to and they beat Xavier, but I, I think you know they, they've kind of reemerged. It's like, okay, right? These programs are are run by excellent coaches, and there's more talent than we thought. Than than maybe, especially at Arizona, because I think that's a really really solid point that there were just eight starter quality players on that team last year, and you were left with five of them this year, which kind of results in your bench being a little. Oh, I got four. Cordy
1: Raby came in. I did my math wrong, but the points is fair.
0: fair. Okay, well that was a that was a college starting level player so the point is still, right, still right, right. Yeah. relatively the same but um but yeah they were impressive and i think right matt painter and, and tommy lloyd i'm sure and we can get to purdue, to purdue a little bit into purdue a little bit more because it would be um irresponsible of us if we didn't but um but arizona part of that like oh right matt painter tommy lloyd Really high-quality programs, really high-quality really high basketball programs, and, and, and talent on those teams.
1: Yeah, you want to talk Purdue now?
0: Sure, let's do it. I've got, like, Purdue is intertwined everywhere, man. Like, they <laughs> they really are. Um, I think, like, they're probably, they're, they're my winner of the week. Sure. Um, Because, right, there were other teams that didn't lose this week, but... Purdue didn't lose this week and they beat West Virginia. Then they went and beat Gonzaga. Then they beat Duke. They beat both teams by more than 16 points. was like, they they, historically speaking, like those last two games did like multiple different things. It's the first time in program history. They've beaten two non-conference opponents that are top 10 teams in back-to-back games. Does that make sense? If I lay that out correctly. Um, Right. Two top 10 Two, teams yeah, back, in non-conference. Back, top 10 wins back, back, mm-hmm. Yes. No. And, um, and they looked pretty pretty darn impressive doing it.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, what they did very much speaks for itself. I just have one thing I want to bring up here, really, that as I was watching them kept coming to my mind, which is this is what Kentucky could look like. This is the visual representation of what I was saying about how you find a balance with Shibway, right? Because at no point did it feel like Zach Eady was getting force fed. Zach Eady just ends up with 20 and 11 because he's Zach Eady. He's going to get, you know, five putbacks off of offensive rebounds. When you're in trouble, you give it to him, and he scores off of his jump hook three times, and all of a sudden he's got 18 points right there. But at no point did it feel like it was limiting, and maybe this is just because they're, designed to play this way and have a bunch of knockdown shooters, right? It's not, I mean, this team is built to space the floor outside of Edie. So you can argue the construction is set up to have that amazing big man fit better. But this was also how Purdue was functioning to a large extent with Carson Edwards and Carson Edwards was not a knockdown shooter. Carson Edwards was getting to the basket. I see a lot of Case and Wallace and Carson Edwards. Of course, they're not the exact same player, but kind of the same idea. And this is just so I'm just saying this to point out that Matt Painter has already figured out how to do this, and the they 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 move the ball incredibly well. Like I said, it just doesn't feel like anybody is ever limiting anybody else. It's just getting the most out of every single one of these players by putting them in positions to see to succeed. You've got a backcourt for the next what four years.
0: Hopefully, the backcourt <laughs> is so fun. Fletcher <laughs> Lawyer Fletcher Lawyer might break like the three point record. Shouts to my buddy who went to Purdue for sending me that text. But like (laughs) he might be right. Yeah. Maybe it's a Fletcher thing. You know who leads you know who's the all time leader in three point field goals right now, right? Fletcher McGee. That's correct. That's correct. Maybe it's the Fletcher thing.
1: Maybe it is. You just everybody started naming their kid Fletcher. Mm -hmm. There's got a bunch of Fletchers versus a bunch of Stephs to see who can shoot better. (laughs) Yeah. I just that's what I kept thinking of when I was watching this is this is how you utilize a a big man that doesn't space the floor and is just a behemoth of a human being because it just never felt like anything was forced. It was all just let's get the, get the best shot every time down the floor. You knew you had Edie available when you wanted him. And Brayden Smith did a good job making sure he got the ball, but mm-hmm. it was never, we have to go to Edie. You ha- absolutely had the green light for all of these really good shooters to continue to shoot the ball. I mean, lawyer just took about five straight threes at one point and knocked down three or four of them. It was incredible to watch. They're, they're just miles ahead of yeah. so many other teams right now.
0: And they're miles ahead right now of the team that Matt Painter put on the floor last year. Because of how disciplined they are. And because yep. right, there was a lot of as God gifted as Jaden Ivey is and was, and as exciting as he is and was, he was not he he is he was not a disciplined college basketball no, that player. He was
1: not a Matt Painter team. No, like, I kept feeling like Matt Painter was going to find a way to turn all of that talent into a Matt Painter team, and it just never happened. Mm-hmm. This is a Matt Painter team, and that is a very dangerous thing mm-hmm. because those are the teams that you look up and they win Big Ten regular season titles, and you don't really understand why.
0: <laughs> um, and, and to kind of tack on to this is what Kentucky could be. Um, Matt Painter is light years ahead of John Calipari as a basketball coach. Light years. Maybe not as a recruiter, but like Matt Painter also gives me the vibe of if he actually decided that he wanted to go out and get five stars, that he that he could do it, guys like Braden Smith and guys like Fletcher Lawyer, who just passed the out loud test. Those are the two best players in the state of Indiana last year. One and two in Mr. Basketball voting stunned right that they're good college basketball players stunned um it,
1: it's just he finds a diamond in the rough every once in a while and it's a bunch of four stars
0: just right. you guys
1: you know are going to be really good but you're also not necessarily worried about them leaving for the nba every year
0: and very very rarely do you find a guy that is the most important player on his team that doesn't quite fit the mold of matt painter basketball right mm-hmm. um and maybe Jaden ivy was Jason, this is not a this is not a pile on Jaden Ivey opportunity here. Jaden Ivey was spectacular last year, right? Um but it's really, really impressive what he's done with this basketball team. And I'm to the point that you can have any other coach in the country that you want. I'll take Matt Painter. <laughs> like like literally. If if I was starting a program that I a, a that I wanted to be the foundation of that program, to be culture and on-court success, I'll take Matt Painter. You can have anybody else. You can have any recruiter. You can have, I mean, you can have Mark Few and put Tommy Lloyd back on his bench if you want to. I'll take Matt Painter. Um, that dude That dude somehow doesn't miss. And regardless of how much high-end talent the country preseason thinks he does or doesn't have, he, uh, he managed to put a high-level product on the floor and um, and it's all centered around this guy that I think is way better as a than in terms of being the most important player on this team, um, than we thought Zach Eadie was going to be. And that's the other part of this is that he's way better than I thought he was going to be. And and he and, and Matt Painter's been harping on this, but this is a seven four guy that can play 30 minutes a game three times in one Thanksgiving weekend. They played. They played thursday friday sunday right they had the, they i believe they had saturday off yeah and zach Eady, the fewest minutes that zach Eady played was 27 the fewest he played he, he surpassed 30 minutes twice there aren't very many big men at 7-4 at any level but much less college that are in the physical shape to play 30 plus minutes play the guy the guy averaged 30 minutes a game and that's that's really crucial to him being the most important player on that team. But even, even for anybody who, who was really really high on Zach Eadie and Purdue, I mean, twenty two and twelve, he's top ten in both points and rebounds through the first months of the season, basically. And that, um, that's the other part of this that can't be overlooked is that he is, at least for me, he is way better and w- way more efficient than I thought he was going to be. Even, even considering the fact that he was really good and really efficient last year. Yeah,
1: this also might be a good time to gently remind everyone that people wanted Matt Painter fired at the end of last season. Remember that?
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> to to back up your point about him being it, it, one you of know the how best many coaches in the country.
0: You know how many college basketball programs would want Matt Painter to be their coach if he got fired by Purdue? About three hundred and fifty. Like 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 it might even be like more than that. Like it might be like like Kentucky might be fine with Calipari, um, Gonzaga would be fine yeah. with Few, and then maybe like Texas with Chris Beard because it's new and John Shire and Hubert Davis. Maybe Izzo. Maybe Izzo. Yeah. That's but if you told it. me I got Izzo for five more years, or I can I hire Painter Matt Painter for, right now sure. and have him for 15 to 20 more years. Sure. I mean, you at least have to have the conversation. Not sure. that you would ever actually fire Izzo, but you get right, my point. Right, right, right. Um, like, that's all you need to know, Purdue fans, when it comes to whether or not you should fire Matt Painter. You shouldn't fire Matt Painter. And he's very, he's very quickly reminded you of that. But, yeah, they were spectacular. It warms my heart that a team that – has Zach Eady and then a point guard like Braden Smith. Like, like it warms my heart that that team is a story of college basketball coming out of Peace Week. Warms my sure. heart. I love it. And that they beat Gonzaga and Duke on the way to do it. Warms my heart.
1: Shall we come to losers?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Where do you want to go first?
1: I'm just going to go to Villanova first. Yeah. Uh, they gave up 81 points to Iowa State. That's an Iowa State team that is not particularly good offensively. Then lost to Portland, who had a very good tournament, it must be acknowledged. And then lost to an Oregon team featuring, I believe, it was six scholarship players. In that Oregon game, there were six Villanova players that played at least ten minutes. One starter scored in double figures. That's really all I have to say. This is. I didn't think in, it was good. In gonna... which
0: game? In the Oregon game? Yes. There are two starters in double figures. Sorry. In the Eric Dixon and Caleb Daniels. Sorry, okay, I missed one. Okay, so two, sorry. But the other other three had 15 points combined. Yeah.
1: They need to get healthy. I mean, that's the end of the... I'm not going to give up on this team with a first-year coach who has a good track record and knows Villanova until I actually see the entire thing on the floor. And then Mm -hmm. I'm going to give Kyle Neptune time because this is not the team he was supposed to have. Mm Mm-hmm. But <laughs> they are running out of time quickly to put themselves in any kind of position to do anything more than just be happy to make the NCA tournament and see what happens.
0: Yeah. Those those two things you said, like th- this conversation, shouldn't start with with anything in the realm of Villanova is a bad program now. No. Villanova no. sucks. Like there are there are there are three. There are three high major level starters starting in that starting lineup right now. Three. And there are two guys, with all due respect to Chris Archidiacano and Jordan Langino, Like, like, with all due respect to you guys, like, they need to get them out of the starting lineup as fast as possible. And Arch, Archidiakono is a fine backup point guard. He's clearly not his brother. That's become abundantly clear. Um, which is also tough it's it's kind of tough to play at Villanova and have the last name Archidiakono yep. and not be as good as Ryan arch so um so I'm like there's a lot and like he had nine and six and didn't turn the ball over, so like he it's not like he's my point is that the Villanova we're accustomed to is is no like that's an impossibility with the current roster that they put on the floor right and it's just tough to immediately after they went to the final four on the backs of Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels, two of like of two, two of the end of discussion, best Villanova players of all time, right? You're making a list. Both of those guys are in the top 15, right? Probably at least top
1: 25.
0: And if we're talking impact, they're like, they're easily in the top 15 in terms of, what they've meant to that mm-hmm. program, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, Jay Wright is coming to them to ask if he has lost a step. Like right. he, he said right. that right after he yeah. retired. That that means something. So that 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 can't be overlooked either. So you're absolutely right to start where you started, right? They are they are hurt. They are inexperienced, both on the sidelines and on the court for a lot of those guys, and they'll still be inexperienced for a lot of those guys when cam whitmore comes back and right of course he would have liked mark armstrong to be better than he's been and so all of these things add up to being two and five which is just a shocking record to see next to villanova's name regardless of the circumstance um but all of that to say it was a it was a long week for villanova yeah um i'll just kind of piggyback off of that and the rest of the Big Ten. I mean, sorry, the Big East, not named UConn. I mean, some stinkers. Like the Big East lost to all the good teams they played. Xavier was like really close to being, and, and Creighton, and Creighton, Creighton, right? They they had a fine week. They lost in the title game of their of their MTE. That's fine. Um, to a good Arizona team that we've already talked about. Um, the rest of the Big East looked pretty looked pretty bad, right? Um, yep you can just go down the list and just kind of pile on. I mean, we're having a similar conversation to me piling on the losses that the ACC had a couple weeks ago in our win winners and losers segment. But you start with right Villanova. We just talked about them lost to Portland. Wasn't exactly great. Um, St. John's barely escapes temple to start the week. Mississippi state beats Marquette. Um, Creighton had a really good start to the week. Like a really, really good start to the week. Um they beat Arkansas and they Texas were, Tech to start the week. And they, they, were, they were really
1: were, good in that tournament. They just came up a little right, short.
0: Right. Yeah. So this is so this is not so I should add Creighton. UConn and Creighton. Everybody else were throwing you into the fire. Um on Wednesday, Butler got absolutely dominated by um by Tennessee. Georgetown lost to American. Um That happened on Wednesday. Then you moved to Thursday. Butler beat BYU, um, but Villanova lost to Iowa State. And Seton Hall beat Memphis barely on a last-second bank shot. They probably should have lost that game, too. Um, Xavier got really close to beating two good teams, right? They kind of had the almost Purdue week, right? They weren't all that far away from having a really solid – week and I would still argue they had a pretty solid week in terms of how I feel about them and the scope of the Big East. <laughs> We're kind of to the point where it's UConn and Creighton at the top depending on how you feel about those two teams and in, in what order and if they're right in the exact same tier. Um but then is kind of a step below them and then it's everybody else. And then it's Georgetown at the very very bottom. Um but DePaul got smoked by Texas A&M, seton Hall lost to Oklahoma and then went on to lose to Siena at the end of the week. Um, there are three good teams in the Big East, and someone's gonna have to do something quickly before we have a conversation about there being any more good teams than that. I mean, it's November twenty eighth, right? I mean, and and this the the month of December isn't exactly known for all of those gauntlet non conference right. matchups that random high major teams get to play, right? Yep. You get a couple and- of marquee games, and then it's a lot of playing it's It's a lot of playing your mid your regional mid major teams and asking and paying them to come to your building, so there's not a ton of opportunities left
1: and the big East already had their big opportunity right right now they talking... do have the
0: big east big twelve battle right that that, that does come at the, in the middle of this week. I haven't looked at that schedule yet, so there should be some opportunities to pick up decent wins there, but that's that's really gonna be the the end of the opportunities for for the Big East.
1: Yeah, because you already had to get I was thinking Big Ten, because the Big Ten ACC challenges also this week, so that was where my head mm-hmm. was. Right. You, you have some time, and I guess the good news is you have two teams that looked really, really good,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is different than last season, right? UConn was outstanding, beat a bunch of good teams. Creighton went toe-to-toe with some really good teams and picked up two wins, nearly mm-hmm. got three. So that is different from last season where everybody was wondering, well, are these teams at the top actually that good? They are that good this season.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's just... The depth is a major issue that needs to yeah, hopefully either you have some teams that finish non conference really strong here, or you have a couple teams that really separate themselves during conference play and are picking up, you know, twelve plus conference wins to kind of round that out a little bit. But hmm. yeah, bad week for the Big East.
0: Um Okay, so that so the the rest of the Big East and Villanova were separate losers for me. Okay. Because I feel because I, I felt like we needed to talk about Villanova in a deeper manner than the other big the other rest of the Big East point I had. So I've thrown sure. two losers out there. Do you want to roll back over to the winner circle, or do you want to stay stay over here in Loser Land? Nah, that I'll was throw, rough.
1: I'll throw one more loser out here before we go back to winners. Okay. I do want to talk about. I guess I'll just throw sort of combine two of mine into high mid major sort of party crasher hopefuls. Uh Dayton went and lost to Wisconsin, NC State and BYU. They've now lost four of five. Not the end of the world. They could still have a very, very good season. But for we kind of talked about this idea of right, you have you know what you're getting from Houston. You know what you're getting, or at least in theory from Gonzaga. They have not been great so far. But ultimately I think they're gonna be okay. But outside of that there were also these other teams that could really cause you know, make some make some noise and cause some damage in the NCAA tournament that are coming out of these mid-major conferences. Dayton was one of those teams that everybody was really high on, and it's not like any of these losses are catastrophic. They just had a real opportunity here to put themselves in a position for an excellent seed, right? You don't have because if they roll through the A10, they're still going to get a really good seed because they're going to have a really good season. But all of a sudden, if the A10 doesn't go great, They're going to make the NCAA tournament because they're a really good team, but it's a different conversation, so you lost that big opportunity. And then the other team I'll throw in there is San Diego State. Not that San Diego State played all that poorly in that tournament, but going from losing in overtime to Arkansas to beating Arkansas and coming away with one loss and getting that win as opposed to losing to Arizona and Arkansas – for a team that's not going to get another opportunity. Like I said, they're right there in this four team semifinal sort of mini tournament with Arizona, Creighton and Arkansas. And one of those teams had to come out with two losses and it was San Diego State. They have clearly proven already. They have wins over BYU, Stanford and Ohio State. They are much better than these, you know, random mid-tier high major teams. They are excellent. Had they gotten that Arkansas win, come away with one loss, I really think they might have been able to get themselves into conversation for a two seed. And I'm just not quite sure they're going to be able to because they lost an overtime game. But that's the margin you're playing with when you're in the Mountain West. Maybe they can still do it if they basically run the table the rest of the way and catch some breaks. But that was the other team I was looking at. Not that they had a bad week at all, but it could have been just that much better So the sort of these mid-major teams that are trying to get into that conversation with Houston and Gonzaga left some opportunities on the table.
0: It's just the reality of the situation when you're playing in the Mountain West, right? Right. And and at the end of the day, right. When you're a mid-major team, if you're trying to get one of the top two seeds in the NCAA tournament, it's a combination of, Oh my gosh, that team won so many games with, A signature win. And, I mean, unless you want to count Ohio State as a signature win, San Diego State's not going to have a signature win. Right, I mean, there are some teams in the conference that are are off to decent starts. I mean, there are only three teams. There are only two teams in the entire Mountain West right this second that San Diego State has more wins than. They're four and two. There are some other teams with four wins, but there are six different teams in the Mountain West that already have more than four wins. So from that person, and they're going to they're I expect them to win the Mountain West. And to, to your point, like they could, they could not lose again the rest of the year and they would have the, they would have the magnitude of wins, but they still wouldn't have a, they still wouldn't have a marquee win. Right. And that is just the reality of the situation. I mean, like you said, they lost, they got handled by Arizona. Yep. Arizona was still clearly the better basketball team, but they lost to an Arkansas team that has done some impressive things so far this year by four. Right? I mean, you were moments away from really having your ha- you know at right at the center at the top of your of your tournament sheet is they beat Arkansas in in Maui in th- over yep. Thanksgiving, and instead it's hey they. They beat Ohio State, right? And and that just doesn't exactly bring the same bring the same pack the same punch, so to speak. Um, even if they do kind of run the table, but they, right, a lot of things would have to happen. I mean, maybe they end up—I don't know how many games they have the top off the top of my head—but maybe they end twenty-nine and two, and this <laughs> is the last time that we that they lose before the Sweet Sixteen. Right. Um, but then even at that point. Right, but like maybe, maybe. right? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't take me all that long to come up with eight teams yep. that are going to have better resumes than you, even if you don't lose again yep. mm-hmm. before Selection Sunday. Sure. And Dayton's just so disappointing. I mean, I and I like. I mean, there were people kind of throwing in, them into the same conversation as like the Obi Toppin, Jalen Crutcher mm-hmm. teams. Yeah,
1: and those were which three was, teams. Those were three teams they could have beat.
0: Right. Yeah. And their guard play hasn't been great, which is really the biggest difference between those two teams. And of course, the NBA-level talent would be top. And so maybe that just was never that fair. But Dayton has kind of become one of those mid-majors that when you expect them to be good, they usually deliver. Right? They They, they typically don't have that kind of St. Bonaventure moment of like last year where St. Bonaventure was expected to be really good and then it became very quickly became clear that they that they really just weren't um but it's disappointing i like it when dayton's good i think it's it's fun it's good for the a10 that tends to be the good years for the a10 when dayton is good and they uh they've dug themselves quite a hole when it comes to the national conversation at this point Hmm. um i'm gonna throw i'm gonna throw one more loser out there just because we're kind of talking mid majors, and I want to do it real quick. okay um it's kind of the opposite end of the same spe- of the spectrum despite the same result. Um, Portland got really, really close to launching themselves into the at large big conversation, yeah and 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 granted, this is a team that wasn't perfect heading into the tournament. And I don't know. I don't have their team page pulled up. One moment. Um, but my point is, is that they were eight combined points away from having two high major wins, right? And I we're mean, hanging
1: in there with North Carolina too.
0: No, that's what I'm talking about. They oh. lost by a combined total of eight points. Sorry, nine points to so North Carolina and Michigan State combined total. But and got the win over Villanova. So it would have been great, the, right? And got the win over Villanova. So yeah. it would have been. And I still expect Villanova to be a quality one for a yep. mid major team by the time we get to the end of the season. Yep. Um and right. They have already lost to Kent State. Kent State a good mid major team this year, but they lost to Seattle University before they played in the PK. But like we got really close, right? And and would they have actually probably put together a resume that gave themselves a chance as an at large bid? Maybe, but probably not. I probably wouldn't have bet on it. Um but at the same time, now it's just kind of you have to win the conference tournament that also includes Gonzaga or you're not going to the tournament, right? That's just kind of there. there is no, oh, maybe if they win a bunch of there's just not. And so I was I was infatuated by Portland the entire weekend. I was I was locked in to Portland. Um I mean, like. Tyler Robertson might be my favorite college basketball player right now. Like he's a 6'6", 220 guard. Are you kidding me? Just styling on dudes? Absolutely adore it, right? Him and Braden Smith, one and two. One and two. Um, But but no, Um, really I just wanted to talk about Portland, and I couldn't f- figure out a way to put them in the winner's column. Sure. But I can put them in the loser's column and still kind of gas them up a little bit because yep. they went toe-to-toe with, I mean, Michigan State is kind of the darling of, right along with with Purdue and like in, in terms of those teams that have completely changed the conversation around themselves Michigan State is high up on that list and um they they looked like they belonged for for 120 minutes of basketball this weekend yep against three really high major teams and uh and that and it that in and of itself is a win and that's how I would have framed it if I put them under winners but um Still gassing them up, even if ultimately they didn't actually really do anything for their resume, which is a little unfortunate. Yeah. All
1: right. I've got one more winner and one more loser I want to talk about.
0: I've got one. I've got two more losers and like one and a half more winners, to be honest with you. OK, it, it's all kind of it's all kind of intertwined. With, yeah. So so please um, wherever you want to go next. OK, I want to talk about Tennessee
1: for a second on the good side and then. We also need to adjust the behemoth of a basketball game that went to four overtimes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, North Carolina is one of my losers.
1: Yeah, so let's go there next. But I do want to mention Mm -hmm. on Tennessee real quick. Uh, They Mm -hmm. did win the battle for Atlantis, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, Butler had them in the first half and not so much in the second half. Then they beat USC in overtime and were excellent defensively against Kansas. Made Kansas look out of sorts. Mm Mm-hmm. Juan Harris was in foul trouble, and that was kind of the end of Kansas's hopes of beating Tennessee. Mm-hmm.
0: It's still not going to One always, moment, one moment. Joseph Yusefu, 14 against Tennessee. 14 had play points a on, six, on 6 of 11 shooting. I don't care why. I don't care why it happened. It <laughs> happened. We've, it did. He 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 is alive. It's <laughs> like play, some minutes, yeah. It's not always going to look pretty on offense,
1: but the thing, even without Josiah Jordan-James in this tournament, they look confident and that's
0: important mm-hmm. to me.
1: They shoot a bunch of, I mean, they've already made 10 or more threes on three different occasions. Now, one of those was, I believe against Kansas, if I remember correctly, where they shot the lights out. They're not always shooting the lights out. They're not mm-hmm. a terrific offensive team, but it just seems like they have guys who can make shots. And I didn't really feel that way last season where it was more of, and I know some I mean, you know, Santiago Vescovy still there. Zachary Ziegler's still there but this idea of you had Kennedy Chandler to create offense for you. This team doesn't really have that guy, but they Mm -hmm. have multiple players who are comfortable on the perimeter. They have an interior presence. I am becoming more confident in their ability to just find a way to score enough points. I still need to know who your best player is when we get to a conversation about March, but the way Mm -hmm. they play defense and the amount of weapons they now have that could be that guy on any given day you know, where Vescovy is quiet for a while and then Vescovy hits three threes in three minutes and all of a sudden it's a different conversation. Those kind of things. And doing it without Josiah Jordan James. They were awfully impressive and they were the best team at that tournament. So I wanted to make them a winner.
0: Yeah, I am and I texted somebody this I I am I am no less I feel no worse about my pick for at to for Tennessee to win the SEC sure. than I did at the beginning of the year. Sure. And Maybe initially it was like, whoa, are we sure? But now they're 5-1. and one. Yes, they have the stinker to Colorado. And, like, yeah, that's probably just going to happen yep. this year. Exactly. But also, like, they might just not lose in the entire month of, of January. Like, they could also just do that. Like, right, they get the timely – to your point, they get the timely shooting that they need, and they're always going to play good defense. But at the end of the day – the most points they scored this week was 73, and it was an overtime. And then they just kind of, they just kind of, everybody was kind of in foul trouble for Butler, and you know, and the first half wasn't great. And then they scored a bunch of points in the second half. Um, so right, there are still concerns. And right, I, I I'm down. we there are two minutes left. We're down two. We'd really like a bucket here. Who's getting that bucket for me? That will maybe just be a question until we actually see somebody do it for which is the case for most teams but they they have a defense that is good enough to hang around with all of the best teams in the country and sometimes that's all you need when you're especially in the conversation of like regular season conference titles and having a good seed in march whether or not that holds up through march Yet to be seen, obviously, but I feel no worse about picking them to win that conference after a, after a month, which is I'll take it. That's that's a fine sure. place to be. Yeah. All right. Let's talk North Carolina real quick. Um, yeah. I'm just gonna I'm going to start this conversation with y'all can have North Carolina. I'll take it. I, I, there are eight teams I'll pick to win the title before I pick North Carolina. Um I, and there are a couple things. I mean, we, we of course need to start with the marathon of a game that was this four overtime, 103 101 loss to Alabama. It wouldn't end. It would not end. It would not. It was the worst quadruple overtime game <laughs> of all time. Like, like, and not, I mean, it taking Caleb Love 36 shots to get 34 points is atrocious. Like, uh, we should take away his shooting abilities for like a week. Um, but, it, like, it's not like, right, there are some games that are, you'll never forget because of how good the, the play was. And then, that's right. like, there's some Super Bowls where we'll never forget them because of, like, how bad the coaching decisions were. And, um, like, that's how I feel about Game 7 of the World Series that the Cubs won, is that there were just a bunch of wrong decisions made between Francona and Joe Madden in that game. And one of them had to end up winning. But, um, like, it wasn't that. It, it wasn't like there was these four things that were like, oh my gosh, those things were so awful. There yeah. was just a bunch of not quite making the last play, and yep. so we ended up playing for six hours, right? Yep. Like, it, it
1: was not one of those where I – I mean you know, the commentators kept saying, we don't want this to end, and I kept thinking, no, I'm okay with this ending. This is oh, not and captivating television. Of course we had Bill that. So That's also
0: why it was horrible. <laughs> I hate that dude. Like, like I'm very much in the in the camp of like I don't really hate anybody that I don't know personally. That's about as close as I'll get. That's about as close as I'll get. Yeah, you,
1: you, there were a couple of moments there, concentration went lacking, and uh, that
0: is generous way to put it there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I was just so frustrated with what I was seeing on the floor that it didn't even phase mm. me. That's the, sure. that's how just despondent I got during this game.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: Can, can we start with this? Are you ready for this? I went and did the. I went and did a deep dive on the numbers. Mm-hmm. Over these three games, would you like to guess how many shots Armando Baycott, R.J. Davis, and Caleb Love took?
0: Over these three games?
1: Yes. Well, they took
0: seventy-two in one of them.
1: Oh, I meant individually. Sorry.
0: Well, yeah, but still, oh. they took seventy-two in one of them. But are you are you are you getting to the to the lopsided nature of the guards versus Armando Baycott? Is yes. that what we're getting at here? Yes. Um. So Love, I'm sure he took sixty. He took thirty-six in one game. I'll give him average of fifth. No, average of seventeen the next two. So I'll go. I'll go. Did he, did he take seventy shots in three games? Sixty-five. Okay. Um. R. J. Davis. 24 is a lot. I'll go down to like 13 for him. So 24 and 26, he took 50. 49. <laughs> very nice. Um, very nice. And then, and then Baycott took. Baycott, Bay, Baycott took 30. To 24. 24? Wow. Six, that six, is a, six, six, and 12. Wow. Okay. That's That's. Are we? Are, do we have an Auburn moment on our hands here? I mean, I guess if you,
1: if you want to call it that. And this is, I didn't have the courage to come out and actually say this is why I didn't have Armando Baycott on my All-American team. But now that I've actually seen this, this is 100% one of the thoughts I had in my head as to why I didn't have Armando Baycott on my first team All-American list. Sure. The bigger point I want to get to, though, is exactly what you just said. Which is this team looks exactly like last season. Now, are they are they better than last season? Sure, because all these guys are a year older, year more experienced, more strength and conditioning, all that stuff. And this is why a four week run in which R.J. Barrett and Caleb Love hit their shots for the most part is not R. J. a commentary. Davis. Sorry, R.J. You said R.J. Barrett. Gosh. Oh, sorry. I'm too just, many RJs. So few,
0: <laughs> too many RJs that are inefficient scorers.
1: This is, um, now I'm just so worked up, I can't even think straight. This is why an NJ tournament run is not a commentary on an entire season. Because Caleb Love isn't going to do that every game, and RJ Davis isn't going to do that every game. And what you have now is still a bunch of bad shots being taken and not getting the most out of Armando Baycott and not being great defensively. I mean they only attacked the basket when Charles Bediako wasn't out there. When Charles Bediako was out there to protect the rim for Ar- for Alabama, they just and again, right late shot clock situations, late game situations, that one possession you need, it was a bunch of bad shots. And then right. all of a sudden, I think it was in the second overtime, everybody started attacking the basket and people started scoring. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. And you know, passing to the big men. It was incredible. Mhm. <sighs> Did- The fundamental issues with this team have not changed. And so this is why you can't just say, oh, look at how good they got because they hit their shots. Could they do it again in March? Sure. Their ceiling is incredibly high. But if you're expecting this to be the best team in the country, I, I think those hopes are over. Unless something dramatically changes and I just don't see it changing.
0: I feel very validated in my hesitations with yeah. North Carolina. 100%. Incredibly validated.
1: Um and by the way, they're not the, I've already decided they're not the best team in the ACC either, but that's because Virginia's looked even better than I thought.
0: Virginia looks really, really good. But um they just kinda take care of business yes. in the way that Virgi- the best Virginia teams of yes. the last, you know, seven, eight years take care yes. of business. I feel and I, yeah. And that like that is the that is the one sentence summary of Virginia so far. They yep. take care of business, right? Yep. In the way you expect them to. Um, the other thing I want to add, because you're right about all of it. Um, the other thing I want to add is I'm, I'm like, I was, I was like 80% nervous, worried about Pete Nance and these games that he just kind of disappears, right? This game was four overtimes. They played an, an entire extra half of basketball. He took four shots and was just a non-factor, right? Um, then I went back and looked at Brady Manic at the beginning of his season last year and he had games in the Cheese It Hall of Fame tip off against oh, yeah. Purdue. Oh right, Yeah. He had he had six points on two seven shooting. Um against UNCA I don't I don't know what Asheville? acronym that is. Is it oh it is UNC Asheville. Okay. Against UNC Asheville, he had eight points, only took five shots. Um and then didn't have a game that wasn't double digits after february 1st so like i'm um, I, I i the following is that i need pete nance to be a little bit more consistent right i mean in the three games they played at the film night he started with 28 on 8 of 13 shooting and five of eight from deep and then finished the week with 13 points across two games and took 10 total shots and only played 25 minutes against Alabama, which is really like playing 19 or 18 in a in a regular game, um, but played 31 against Iowa State. So like he was there, and he, he he rebounds the ball, he blocks shots, he blocks three shots in this game. He had four fouls and against Alabama. So there's you know all of those things to take taken take into consideration. But what, whatever the reasons are, we still have, end up with only four points in a in a 60-minute basketball game of actual time on the floor. Um, That's the only other thing I'll say. Like, I was more worried, and then I was like, I wonder what Brady Maynard's numbers looked like early in the season. They actually look very similar from an an inconsistency perspective. And then I had to remind myself that he's been playing basketball with this team for, like, a month Mm -hmm. on the actual floor, right? So I'll give him a little bit of time, but that's one of those things I'm officially watching, is where's Pete Nance against the best teams that UNC plays because now we're one, two, we're seven games into the season and he's scored nine points or less four times. Right. It so could, that's, that okay. might, we might, we're, we're approaching a pattern.
1: Yeah, it could very well. And, you know, they could solve the problems again by the end of the season. Right. But this idea that the problems had been solved because of what they did in March was ridiculous. Now, if you I want to say, I think they solved them over the off season because of X, Y, and Z, fine, because they felt that, you know, they experienced what playing at a really high level feels like and that they could have carried that over. That was a justifiable opinion to hold. That opinion no longer holds water because you've seen what they've looked like so far and are not anywhere near the best team in the country at this point. Yes, yeah. Before we completely jump off UNC, I feel like this is the best time to get this in. I want to give a shout out to Caleb Grill. Yep. <laughs> K.O. Grill, before he, you know, single-handedly took down North Carolina by turning into Steph Curry, he had how many 20-point games in his career before that? <laughs> Would you like to guess?
0: The zero? He one, did have two. 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 two
1: he had yeah. 27 at UNLV against Alabama before he transferred back, and he had 24 Iowa State against Southeast Louisiana. I just... I I loved every single second of what Caleb Grill was doing out there. It was amazing. I had to, And I think he had one point against UConn. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to give him a shout-out because that was the performance of a lifetime.
0: Because that's the only chance you're going to get to talk about Caleb Grill that's all right. season. Shout-out to Caleb <laughs> Grill. Um, I'll just kind of keep rolling with the team that Iowa State lost to in, in the Phil night. Um, and this is where my kind of one and a half mm. comes from. Um, the half is my, my last one is Yukon. The other half is, I think Adamus and what just happened to my voice here? I don't know. You know who I'm talking about. Um, and Zach Eady deserve to be in the conversation of the elite big men in the country in a yep. way that they weren't in preseason. Sure. Um, I, that I mean, simple fact that they led both of their teams to title. I mean, granted, Sonogo was not the MVP of the Phil Knight Invitational, which is also something I'm about to get to. It was a bench player, hashtag depth. Um, but the, I, I think in just the season, the start he's had in general and the start that Evie's had um, when having that conversation about the elite of the elite big men, right? Your Trace jackson Davis's, your Drew Timmy's, who have been spectacular, right? Drew Timmy has been as good as advertised. Heading into this season, those two guys really need to be talked about in the same way that some that those other three guys were talked about coming into the season, um, or two guys uh, were heading into the season. Throw Hunter Dickinson in there as well, Armando Baycott. All of those guys should be discussed together because Snogo and, and Edie is that good. Um, UConn, UConn won this game by 18. They scored 71 points. Jordan Hawkins played five minutes in this game, right? Um, Sanogo played 22 minutes in this game. Those two guys were two of nine from the field and scored six points in the championship game against Iowa State. They won by 18. They're undefeated. A guy coming off their bench had 15 and 10. Another guy off their bench had 10 and 13. And we haven't even gotten to the two guys that also had seven points and eight points. This team is deep. I mean, they're two best players, at least on paper. And then they had another guy. They had three guys in the starting lineup combined for three field goals. And the other two guys added seven. So they had 10 field goals total from their starting lineup in the finals of a MTE loaded with quality mid you know high major teams. Now granted, did we think Iowa State was going to be playing them in that game? No. Um but led by Donovan Klingon. Klingan? 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 Klingan. He who is <laughs> just wait till Sonogo leaves. <laughs> right. He who a is a who is a freshman that won the tournament MVP. With Sunogo and Jordan Hawkins on his team. They rolled through this tournament, man. Rolled through it. They beat Oregon. They smoked Oregon because Oregon just kind of like it's a tradition unlike no one other at this point that Oregon just gets doubled up in a random non-conference game. They just don't have players right now. That is part no, of this. No, but they were also bad last year. I mean, at some yeah. point we're just you – know. Yeah. Um, they, beat, they handled Alabama by 15 – Handled Iowa State by 18. They rolled through this tournament, and you know, to touch very briefly on that conversation we had at the beginning of the podcast when I said I'm not really sure how much I care about depth. This is one of those teams that's going to make you care about their depth, and um, they're scary, man. They're, yep. They are right there. They are they are one a one b with with Creighton in my head right now. That's how high. And, and Creighton's been really good. Creighton's been really good, and UConn really like completely deserves to be in that conversation. As the best team in the Big East, they were they were super impressive, and have all the makings of a team that can go, that can make a deep deep run. Welcome back, UConn.
1: I, I just hope they keep it keep it going because college basketball is better when UConn is really really good. Because I came really away yes, feeling the same way about them off of. I think it was was a battle for Atlantis last year, whatever whichever, whichever tournament they played in. Remember they had that overtime game where everybody kept scoring against Auburn. They were, I they I don't I don't believe they won that tournament, but they can I came away super impressed and went they are really 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 good and then mm-hmm. they were just kind of fine the rest of the season and then lost in their first NCAA tournament game, mm-hmm. right? They all the pieces are there, they are, they look really really good again. They are clearly one of the two best teams in the Big East. the The question still has to be I need to I need to see them do it for an entire season but they absolutely have the potential to and from a yeah a longevity standpoint they are not going anywhere anytime soon because Danny Hurley is also recruiting at a high level and knows how to get those year after year there are more guys that come in and contribute and you're already seeing that
0: yeah okay I've got one more thing okay do you have anything else
1: I just have a few small things at the very end
0: okay Um. there are too many of these tournaments yes There are too many of these tournaments, and it results in the crowds at these tournaments being pathetic. Would you like to guess how many people were at the UConn-Alabama game?
1: I'm
0: going to say
1: less than 1,000.
0: The the recorded attendance on ESPN's GameCast page was 1,921 at a North Carolina-Alabama basketball game. I could go out on the streets in any major city, including Portland in this country, and find a thousand and find more UNC fans than that. But there are so many of these tournaments, and and I can go down the list. the the um, The UConn Iowa State game just surpassed five thousand people, just barely. Um, Duke UNC. I mean, sorry. Duke and Purdue was a little better, if I'm remembering correctly. But a little better is seven thousand one hundred sixty-eight. These all of these buildings look completely empty, and part mm-hmm. of it is because there's too many of them. And I and I understand, I, I get it. Okay, I get it, because um, everybody wants their piece of the pie, and there are enough good teams to make it worth. But like like if you have three big tournaments instead of six of them, or like two instead of six, and then the, the rest of Feast Week is kind of made up of of marquee, you know, one-off games. And I know that there are rules about, like, Indiana had to create the Hoosier tip-off classic. Believe me, everybody in my mentions told me about the Hoosier tip-off classic. Um, Like, like you got to create these, like, these, like, bad, like, exempt events so that they don't have to go to these turn- like Like, a couple big ones, let's make a couple big ones that start on Monday and there are, like, a bunch of teams in them instead of like making a, a gajillion seventeen tournaments and attendance will be better, they'll be more exciting, and you can fill in the gaps with just individual games between good teams. Right? Like it it, it looks really sad on T V. Yeah. There was no energy in the building of a four overtime game. No energy. It was like yeah. a pickup game. And now granted RJ Caleb Love taking thirty six shots made it feel like <laughs> a pickup game. Um but but there's just there's like in in that that bl- weird blue ballroom that we're talking about that they play in at the Battle for Atlantis, like it's impossible to create any sort of atmosphere in that in that room. Um, you've got the, the and we haven't even talked about the women's college basketball. I was going to get to that. That's one of my things. That, like yep. like that is embarrassing. Um, there are too many of these. There are too many of them. Change the rules so that we can have a couple big ones. And then you can have like your mid-major ones and right and all of those things like there's a way to do this where we don't have the 25 best teams in the country spread out across nine different tournaments like it just it, it it's boring and as a result like and this was a good feast week there were some good games right but it just kind of felt like it's like man that place is empty and I just don't think it would be that hard to create a tournament in which it doesn't feel like all of these games are empty
1: or, or, at to, le- or a le- schedule at least maui and atlantis you're playing in an intentionally smaller arena
0: sure
1: so whether you feel like the environment's great or not it looks better right because the whole mm. point is that it is a small venue
0: fair enough not yeah.
1: not in the same sense of a cameron indoor or a hinkle or something where it's designed mm. to get it rocking
0: mm-hmm. but
1: it looks different when you're playing it all of these you know, big arenas in Portland where the the Trailblazers used to play or play or those kind of things are not playing it in yep. the smaller venue. At least helps with the optics of that. And also, it's just so hard to keep track of all of these.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> they just never end. But yep. they're also awesome. So,
0: yeah, I like Feast Week. This isn't an oh, anti yeah, yeah, Feast Week take for sure. Just
1: could be it a would, little bit uh, better.
0: It would be a like I'll even argue it's a pro Feast Week take. Anyways, yeah, um, just improving it. Yes. Um, okay, what do you got before we get out of here? A couple
1: quick things. Uh did want to point out TCU beat Cal and Iowa by double digits in the Emerald Coast Classic that nobody was yep. paying attention to because hmm. I wasn't paying attention to it either because I was you know, paying attention to the other massive MPEs. Hence,
0: hence the conversation we just had. Yes.
1: Nobody scored more than 66 points on TCU since Arkansas Pine Bluff to begin the season, if I remember correctly. So hanging in there with the Horn Frogs, they're starting to get things turned around. I'm just glad to see them have a good week. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, so just kind of throw them in there with the winners. Second, did you see <laughs> the Brian Syracuse game?
0: Yes, I saw Doug Eater getting a <laughs> slapping battle with
1: with Judah yeah. <laughs> and
0: then and then Beheim in very Beheim fashion tried to get all holier than thou. When it was his player that slapped Doug Eater first, <laughs> he 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 got all like the, he I I got a very um I got a very from Jared Grasso, I got a very sarcastic comment, and that's pretty on brand for him, dude. Your player hit his player first. What are we talking about here? I just, but I saw, and the of video, course it was Doug Eater. Of, of course, course it was, it was right. Doug it just
1: had to be. The yeah. only way that you would ever pay attention to Brian is if something like this happened, and there's Doug Eater right at the middle. I just, I couldn't believe the video that I was watching, so I had to, had h- to mention h- that. H-
0: hence the ambassador for Buffalo Wobblings. Okay, that's all you need to know. He's right in the thick of it. He's just in there. He's in there.
1: (laughs) That was, (laughs) couldn't let that one go without discussing it. And then the other thing you already mentioned yeah, speaking of MTEs, uh, whatever that thing was that the IU women's basketball team, a top, you know, borderline top five team in the country, by the way, participated Mm. in, uh, that needs to never happen again. Apparently the promises were made that it was going to look like Athletes Unlimited when Athletes Unlimited played there, and yeah, uh,
0: it did not. Which is even worse. It's even worse that you told him it was going to be better than that, and then you didn't put in the effort. Yeah,
1: and I saw Megan McCune, whose dad I believe still is, at least at one point, was the – I think he still is – Northwestern women's basketball coach. She's doing all kinds of college basketball stuff had a whole thread if you want to go find her thread on Twitter about all of the promises that were made and the disaster
0: that this thing was. and They were told to bring towels down from yeah. their hotel rooms. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Like, 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 who's the piece of crap who even thought of that? Like, like, that's negative. Like, you cannot tell me if you have the money to put one of these events on that you don't have the money to order some Gatorade towels. You just I refuse to believe it. Like can we stop can we can we can we stop being so worried about the bottom line, which is the issue with the people who put together women's college basketball events anyways, is that they just haven't come to terms with the fact that we gotta put the women on a stage first and really put the effort in before anything else is gonna before any type of returns, Like it is just it is the issue with the people who run college basketball in a nutshell that they're trying to make money off of these kids before they're trying to do what's what's best for them. And, and it's and easy to make money when you do the Phil Knight invitational because it's on ESPN and the ESPN paid for the rights for it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like it's easy to do that. Um and it's it's really obvious what the motivation is when when that kind of thing happens to and, women's college basketball.
1: And just how does
0: sort of to use your
1: phrase, how does that pass the out loud test? How do you just sit there and say, Yeah, that checks out. That's a good idea. Yeah.
0: No clue. When you when you figure it out, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. all. It, okay. That's that's feast week. Good feast week. We got a big East Big Twelve battle coming up this week. And then we kinda get into that lull before yep. we get into <laughs> one, one more good week. Maybe we'll have to do some sort of after non-conference play kind of reset, look back, something or another to get us to, to conference play. We're close, but in the next few weeks – we have some good games in the next few weeks, but um, but it is definitely kind of the, the lull before non-conference play really gets going.
1: And there are a, there are a couple – we are going to get some conference games next month. Yes. For example, Stanford in their next four games play UCLA, Arizona State, and Texas. We'll take it. So you've got the Pac twelve games, you got those weird big ten games. So it's kind of I think we have we actually to take that back. We have more than one more than one week. But right, we're getting to that point where we have sort of this last hurrah of non conference showdowns. You get a couple conference games for the conferences that need to play, some extra ones, and then Mm -hmm. everybody sort of takes a break right there before Christmas and then we regroup with conference play
0: after. So Um and in Indiana so all the Indiana fans, I'm still getting responses to a tweet I sent out seventy two hours ago. Um they play North Carolina, yes. Kansas, and Arizona in their next six. Okay, all right. You guys still suck for bailing on the Crossroads Classic, even if the even regardless of the reason. That's a good event for the sport in the state of Indiana, and we replaced it with Miami of Ohio at Cambridge Fieldhouse. That's all I have. I've got to go. So, please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. TikTok, YouTube, just search Jays for Days podcast. You'll find it, I promise. And uh, we'll be back later at an undisclosed date, probably at the end of this week, since that's the general schedule we stick to. Um, But stick around. We'll be back very, very soon. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh, he's Josh, and we will see you later.